Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Matilda of Flanders! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! Look at me in my throne. <laughs> Welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England from Elswith to Prince Philip. And uh, Ali is in a new chair. Oh my god, I could just sit here for a Sorry, I'm yawning just because I'm so comfortable. <laughs> an actual armchair. I've got an actual armchair and I don't know what to do with my hands. Because you don't have to hold the mic anymore, you've got the stand. I've got my stand. Thank you, Privy Councillors. What's it like in the cheap seats up there, Graham? Yeah, I mean, my chair is three weeks late and counting, so... Uh, you're you're holding your microphone. And I'm holding my mic. I mean, technically, I could actually not hold the microphone, but... Uh, oh, it's, I'd never go back to those days. It's an appropriate time for a new start for you, because it's a new start for us. We are now into the Norman consorts. And Matilda, first of many. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at RexFactorPod. Like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page and email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. Yes, please. And also, if you would like to hear more of our discussions, then you can join the Privy Council, pay uh, a voluntary monthly subscription, and you get lots of bonus content and extra podcasts. Oh, yes. And we do Privy Chamber episodes. We do, indeed, after each of our main episodes. I sing a song each time. (laughs) It's more a theme tune, isn't it? Well, I mean, even that's... uh... (laughs) (laughs) I make noise. (laughs) (laughs) So... Biography. So Matilda of Flanders, mm. she was born in uh, about 1031 at the earliest. That is quite early, isn't it? Because we're talking about 1066 here. Indeed. Oh, but okay, it's an invasion, so it's not like it all happened. She could have been right at the end of her life when the invasion happened. I've just worked out how time works. Okay, <laughs> good. Um, she is the daughter of Baldwin V, the mm. Count of Flanders, mm. and Adela of France, daughter of King Robert II of France. Uh, so we're on to slightly more familiar territory with uh, the name Matilda. Mm. Yeah, I, ca- I have to say I'm quite pleased to see the back of those Swiths and Myths and, <laughs> and the Elves. Gifts, foos. Well, at the time, they might have thought it was all a bit confusing. Apparently, Matilda wasn't actually very common in Flanders or France at this time. Really? Um, so it comes from the old Teutonic name Mactilde, reflecting her father's German ancestry. Mm. So it's probably actually because of people like Matilda Flanders that it actually becomes a popular name in England. Still is, isn't it? Indeed, still is. Now, she's often said, in terms of her appearance, to be England's smallest consort at four foot three inches. Wow. But it's based on a 1959 examination of her bones using her femur and tibia to calculate her height. Isn't that accurate? Uh, Well, in theory it's accurate, but it's now thought that they miscalculated. Or perhaps damage to the bones meant that they didn't actually have... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> quite as much of it as yeah. they thought they, they had. had an arm when they thought they had a leg <laughs> um, so she's actually probably about five foot which is about normal for the time mm. pretty small but I mean I know five foot people indeed big shout out to Louise <laughs> <laughs> there are no contemporary portraits for uh, Matilda in terms of her appearance but she's described by William of Eumierge mm. who probably met her or at least saw her as being very beautiful mm. whilst uh, chroniclers lavished her with praise for her piety and nobility Right. 
Because they can't say that she's beautiful, can they? Um, they do also say that. Or they say that she's very fair and that sort of thing. It's all a little bit generic. But it is a cut and paste job, isn't it, when describing a woman in these days? Um, however, she, and she was pious and uh, of obviously noble stock. But there's also a little bit of an edgier hint to her character hmm. that we'll see at times. Evidence of confidence, competence, pride and a bit of ambition. That's what we're looking for here. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Factor. Small or not, she was no pushover. Is that because she had a low centre of gravity? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, the Matilda bit we've explained. Yeah. The other part of her name is of Flanders. Uh, yeah. I, I, thought, I mean, I thought I was on solid ground with that one. I mean, they, they wouldn't <laughs> say so with their boggy marshland. <laughs> <laughs> well, indeed. So, um, this part of modern-day Belgium, northern France, and the Netherlands. So, it's sort of mm. bigger than modern-day Flanders, but, Flanders, but it is mm. that, obviously, mm. uh, territory. Previously part of Charlemagne's great French Empire. Mm. Uh, but it was recognised as an independent territory from 862 under Baldwin I, her five times great-grandfather. So this is the birth of Belgium and the Netherlands? Uh, now, it does have a reputation for violence and actually quite limited towns without many stone buildings. That's a reputation for Flanders. It's, it's the traditional warring ground of Europe. <laughs> Indeed, and, yeah. And... Uh, poor old Ukraine and Poland. However, under her father, Baldwin V, Flanders does go from strength to strength. He has a building programme um, of stone buildings. Yeah, it's good stuff. Which is nice, less muddy, as well as roads and canals to help stimulate trade. So Bruges becomes a hub of European commerce. Oh, Bruges. I love Bruges. Uh, and he was respected across Europe as a wise and firm ruler, and Flanders is now quite a major player in European affairs. Okay. Uh, Matilda's daughters later on could read Latin, so it's quite likely that she herself also probably had this sort of education. And her mother was quite an impressive role model for a future mm. consort. Um, Adela witnessed more than half of Baldwin's charters mm-hmm. in Flanders and uh, was quite an influential figure in the country. And she was also clearly very proud of her French royal origins. She used to sign charters as the sister of the King of France. Is that a bit of a neg to uh, her actual position as... Countess of Flanders. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to put the Flanders bit? No. However, an even more notable influence on the uh, the young Matilda came from England. Uh-huh. In 1037, Emma of Normandy, oh. a consort to both Ethelred the Unready and Canute, was exiled by her son-in-law, oh, yeah. Harold Harefoot, during a succession battle, and she was given refuge for three years in Bruges. So she was an honoured guest for three years, and thus would almost certainly have met the young Matilda. Yeah, because how old would she have been there? So Matilda will be sort of between six and nine years old. Wow. So this incredibly sort of powerful, famous woman from England comes over for a few years. What a figure. What a figure. Um, Highly likely they'd have met, and thus quite possible that Matilda took a certain amount of inspiration from Mm. this powerful woman. most uh, impressionable. Yes. Um, And a role that she actually takes on in the concert of England. Yeah. Wow. However, initially, it's not England that will come calling for Matilda, but it's Normandy. Oh, of course, yeah. Like Flanders, Normandy's gone through a recent transformation and expansion, so it had Viking origins originally, but it's now the most powerful duchy in France. Mm. Uh, And there's actually quite a lot of tension between Flanders and Normandy. They've basically been kind of on and off fighting each other for the Mm. last century over sort of rival expansion and that sort of stuff. Right. Tilda's father, Baldwin, decides that it's time to bring the conflict to a close. Mm. And the best way to do this... Oh, the old marriage. To the Duke of Normandy, William. 
Yeah, now he's got a few problems of legitimacy, does he? Indeed. William is uh, the Duke of Normandy. This is, of mm. course, the future William the Conqueror, mm. William the First of England. Um, he is illegitimate. His father uh, never actually married, and he was only seven when he became the Duke. Oh. Normandy's quite unstable when it doesn't have firm rules, so numerous regents are murdered. Normandy descended into lawlessness and rebellions. But once William becomes an adult, he proves a highly capable military leader, defeats his enemies, restores order. Mm. And he's quite an imposing figure, tall, well-built. He's about five foot ten. Mm. Uh, quite brutal. Yes. Ooh, my voice has gone funny. <laughs> uh, quite puritanical in his attitude as well. He's very moderate in food, drink, and indeed women. Really? He'd sired no illegitimate children in his youth, which was something so unusual in a sort of aristocratic man, that there are rumours that he must be impotent. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, the impotence isn't funny. I just like to <laughs> no, the fact they that assume that. Yeah. I mean, it. <laughs> What's he doing? He must be doing it. <laughs> Something just clearly isn't working. <laughs> oh, dear. In reality, probably the stigma of his own illegitimacy means he's got a bit of a hang-up yeah, about that. So, actually, it. he doesn't want to go anywhere near that sort of thing. Yeah. So he's, he's desperate for a wife, and who comes knocking? He wants a legitimate match, consolidate his power, and they don't come much more legitimate than Matilda of Flanders. Oh, because of her... Her rather French, French royal heritage. Stuff, yeah. Um, she's one of the most prestigious brides in Europe, since she's both the daughter of Count of Flanders and the niece of the current King of France, Henry I, and, of course, thus a direct ancestor of Charlemagne. Right. So if you're an illegitimate, sort of not that long ago, mm. Viking and you want to improve your lineage. Yeah, she's a good one to go for. According to legend, Baldwin uh, accepted William's proposal, but uh, according to the story, Matilda publicly refused to marry a bastard. Oh, gosh. And when news reached William in Normandy, he rode all the way to Flanders, assaulted Matilda, and then rode all the way back again. And Baldwin was all set to declare war and marry her to someone else, but Matilda is so impressed by his courage that she declared she would marry no one else but William. Is this true? It seems a little far-fetched. Yeah. Um, the, interestingly, various versions of this do appear in Norman, French and Flemish chronicles. So it's not that it just appears in one hostile source and nowhere else. It does pop up a few times. If there's a truth behind the legend, mm. it's perhaps hinting at William having this hang-up about his illegitimacy and being quite sensitive when people mention it. Mm. And also, perhaps, either Matilda or others at Flanders may be expressing some reservations about yeah. her marrying Squandering a slightly more the legitimacy. Indeed. Um, whatever the truth of it, the betrothal does go ahead. Mm. So we probably assume that William didn't ride several hundred miles and assault Matilda as a means of wooing her. But it is likely that she might have said something like that. But she might have mentioned to her father that she yeah. might have hoped for a bit better. Okay. Anyway, before the wedding uh, could take place, William and Matilda just needed the match to be rubber-stamped by the Pope. Hmm. Uh, but they're rather shocked um, when they find at the Council of Reims in 1049, Pope Leo IX prohibited the match on the grounds of consanguinity. Really? Meaning they're within the prohibited degrees of uh, kinship. Are they, though? There are connections, but no more than would be So normal. what's he playing at? It's probably a political decision rather than a spiritual one. Mm. The Pope owes his position to the Holy Roman Emperor, who is quite opposed to the Flanders-Normandy match because he sees it as a threat right. to this sort of balance of power in Europe. At what point do you stop having to ask the Pope? Like When you're a duke, clearly you do. But like, at what point in the in the hierarchy of things, if you're an earl, do you have to ask? 
and I imagine that on the on the point where you just go from a wealthy fella to a wealthy fellow with a title, hmm. it's almost like a bit of <laughs> yeah. a, a thing. Say, so I had to ask the blooming Pope, you know, you know, when you're as powerful as me. Sort of like tax threshold. Yeah. And do you want to bump through it? <laughs> yeah. And then you get to the point where actually it's a bit, it is genuinely a pain rather than a, hmm. a kudos thing. Yeah. Well, despite this, uh, in 1050, William and Matilda decide to just ignore the Pope and get married anyway. Uh-oh. So after two weeks of celebration in Rouen, Matilda is taken by William on a progress through the duchy where she quickly becomes very popular mm. because the fact that the previous dukes don't always bother to actually get married, she's the first duchess of Normandy in about 50 years. <laughs> oh, yeah, hence his bastardy, bastardness. Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Pope, uh, well, a Pope does eventually approve of the marriage. Leo the Ninth dies in 1059. Oui. So uh, William's right-hand man, Lanfranc, the future Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Canterbury secured retrospective dispensation mm. in return for which uh, William and Matilda had to found churches in Caen in Normandy. Oh, that went, went well, though. It's a famous mm. one, that. Yeah, so William founded the monastery of Saint-Étienne whilst Matilda founded the nunnery of La Trinité. Mm. And usually for the time, they actually also seem to be in a genuine love match. He scandalises contemporaries once more, William, by remaining completely faithful to her throughout the marriage. Scandal. I like the way they, they, it's just like so there has to be a certain degree of scandal. Yeah. Whatever's going, if it's not scandalous enough, it's too scandalous. Oh. What is wrong with this man? <laughs> um, 1063 is one example. William fell seriously ill. Uh, looked like he might die, so he vowed to establish canons in the cathedral church of Coutances if he recovered. And Matilda goes to Coutances in person, makes a personal donation at the altar, prays for his recovery, and the watching monks were amazed by her sort of slightly dishevelled appearance. It's like her hair was down, she was wearing well informal attire, so there was a sense that she had literally just come from looking after him, comes straight there, does her prayers. Gets back. Gets back again. Do it Yeah, it does. Oh, good. It covers. Their personal relationship extends into the professional as well. William clearly has great faith in Matilda's abilities, uh, so she witnesses numerous charters in Normandy and does actually share in the governance of the duchy as well. Right, so that's good. She mm. is, it's setting up well. Indeed, and he is going to need people he can trust because in 1066 comes the big campaign of mm. William's life. The death of Edward the Confessor leads to a battle for the succession of the Kingdom of England. Yeah. Now, William had been promised the throne by Edward in 1051, so he's rather furious when instead it ends up being taken by Harold Godwinson. Yeah, that is going to uh, upset you. So William thus starts to gather his armies and prepares to invade England. Right, OK. And she's left behind to do the governing there? Or did she, she take her with? She is left behind, um, and she is very useful for William. When he's gathering his fleet, she actually has a bit of a surprise in store for him because she presents him with a ship. It's helpful, isn't it? The Mora, which he had secretly commissioned. And it's bigger and faster than all the other ships in the fleet, and he was so delighted that he made it his flagship. Mm. Even without this, William obviously does trust Matilda above all others, so whilst he is off to campaign for the throne, mm. he names Matilda as regent in Normandy. Cool. Okay, this is looking very, very good for Matilda here. Mm. Um, it's really annoying when um, kings and queens don't get on. This is so much more done. Yeah. Just my personal thought on it. After a year of epic battles, William does, of course, emerge successful hmm. uh, in England, defeating and killing Harold Godwinson in the Battle of Hastings. And then after facing some lingering resistance from the likes of Edgar the Atheling, uh, William is crowned King of England on the 25th of December, 1066. I was going to ask that. Does that mean that she wasn't there for that? She was not there for that. 
that's a shame. Because, uh, um, I mean, one thing, I suppose she's still regenting in mm. Normandy, and that goes very well. There's no uh, serious incident while mm. William's away. But also, it's perhaps a little too unstable at first for her to come over to England. He needs to secure uh, right. his position before yeah. he's going to risk Matilda coming. But in 1068, uh, it is considered safe enough, and she does come over, and she has her own coronation. Well, that's nice. It's a little separate one. Mm. Little. patronising. <laughs> Um, so they haven't seen each other for two years? Uh, I think he pops back in 1067. Okay. And the coronation is actually a very grand affair. It's also the culmination of William's um, admittedly rather short-lived efforts to create a harmonious Anglo-Norman rule. Mm. So he's got the English and the Normans but trying to get them both oh, right. to buy into it. Mm. Um, Matilda's status, however, is very clear. She's crowned, she's anointed, and she is a partner in William's rule. She continues to act as his regent uh, at various times in Normandy, and with the departure of the old Saxon royal lady, she kind of becomes the principal focus in terms of a female focus for the subjects in England. Uh, She's an increasingly popular figure among the English and provides a rather more conciliatory and restraining influence on William than some of the more rapacious Norman lords. Yeah. So the partnership between them is extremely successful, but it does eventually come under very severe strain. Oh, no. William has a terrible relationship with his eldest son, Robert. Uh, In 1077, William refuses Robert's request for having autonomous rule of Normandy. Mm. By 1079, tensions have escalated so much, they actually actually escalated into open warfare. Really? Between the civil war? A smaller scale? Yeah. Smaller scale, though, equally, Robert has got the um, support of France and Flanders against uh, William. So it's it's a serious threat. Um, Now, in contrast to William, Robert is Matilda's favourite son. Mm. And she dotes on him and indulges him. So when he is effectively exiled, she refuses to cut all ties with him. Mm. And, in fact, secretly sends him money in exile. Mm. Now, when William finds out about this, understandably... He's not too pleased and demands yeah. that she stops. Mm. But she doesn't stop. Yeah. And he finds out again and is uh, once more not pleased. Yeah. Publicly upbraided her for supporting his enemies. She justified her actions by asking how she as a mother could be asked to abandon uh, her eldest son. But uh, he's still not impressed with that and orders her intermediary with Robert to be arrested and blinded. Love a blinding, don't they? Um, Some things never change. <laughs> Yay! Uh... She's in a terrible position. Mm. What position to be put in? But simply shows how bloody minded and bloody horrible um, <laughs> uh, William is. Mm. His son. I mean, I know they were they were fighting over land, but come on. Mm. Anyway, how do you send money in those days? You can't just uh, do phone banking, can you? Well, I say it's an intermediary. So she actually has someone that... with a sack of gold. <laughs> yeah. Says, "Give this to." my son won't you and he goes I definitely will <laughs> yeah. that's it you've got to just trust them mm. madness I mean, I'd have nicked it I'd have been honestly down <laughs> in Seville before you could <laughs> say William's a bastard <laughs> um, well Matilda herself doesn't face any serious sanctions uh, oh. for her support of Robert though she isn't named as regent again Oh. By Williams, perhaps trust her a little bit less. But her influence does persist enough that she is able to effect a reconciliation in 1080 mm. between William and Robert. It's a good price to pay, though. If, you were, if you're her, mm. you think to, the price of keeping in touch with my son is not being named regent. Be yeah, fine. A bit less work. Yeah. 
however, the long years of travel, childbearing, and the recent family conflict does seem to have taken its toll mm. on Matilda. From 1077 to 81, she sent to the abbot of Lachaise Dieu for a cure for lethargy. <laughs> oh, poor woman. <laughs> I tell you what, Matilda, you are so lazy these days. I'm going to send you off for a cure. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just tired and old, William. Get, get come on. Perk up. Perk up, yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, she falls seriously ill in Cannes in 1083, and on the 2nd of February that year, she dies, uh, aged about 52 years old. Is he sad, or is the relationship deteriorated? He's present know? for a final confession, and he spends many days consumed by grief. Oh. Don't know what you got till it's gone. Indeed. Uh, she's buried in her own foundation of La Trinité in Cannes, where the black stone slab marking her grave and epitaph still survives today. Anyway, that is the life and consortship of Matilda of Flanders. Mm-hmm. Let's see, see how she does when we review her. Battleliness! So there's plenty to suggest that Matilda was a courageous and quite hardy uh, woman. Uh, there's a surprising number of somewhat fantastical stories of conflict between her and William. Oh, man. So the betrothal one is the sort of the main example, but there are other ones as well. Mate, it's, I mean, it's adding up to at least something. Well, it is. The thing is, none of them are considered that reliable by historians. So there's right. not a single one that you'd think, yeah, that maybe did happen. So can we can we discount them all? I think we can discount them for the literal events they portray, but it's not inconceivable that they are a reliable hint at her having an independent streak. Yes, okay. Um, But that's good. That's what we want, isn't it? Um, But she could also be courageous in support of William. In 1068, um, she was pregnant when she had her coronation in Winchester, Mm. um, which was followed by a major rebellion in the north, which would ultimately end up with the harrying of the north, of course. Uh, so Matilda's heavily pregnant, about 37 years old at this point. Right. Which is you know, very late at that time to be having uh, a child. But nevertheless, she actually accompanies William on his campaign and gives birth to a son in Yorkshire. Really? Very good PR, of course, to have a son on native and indeed rebellious soil. Yeah, very good. Um, but it's a long way to travel and quite a dangerous place to be. Oh, God, imagine how awful that would be. Mm. I mean, travelling at all in those days being <laughs> yeah. pregnant. yeah. Absolutely horrible. Mm. Now, aside from building a castle, oh. which she doesn't do, oh. the best thing that she could probably do to impress you is build a boat. Yeah, yeah, that was good. And she did do that in 1066. Yeah. It's while William's preparing his invasion army, she secretly commissioned the Mora mm. at Barfleur using her own money. So this is a Viking-style longship with 30 rowing benches or more. Mm. Uh, clinker construction, so you've got the edges of the hull planks overlapping, mm. four-cornered sails, and it's the biggest and fastest ship in his invasion fleet. Oh, I could just imagine going, oh, got loads of these. <laughs> what do you get a king? There's a question for you. I mean, I'm speaking to the audience well, I mean, here. Yeah. What would you get a king? I mean, a king who's about to launch an invasion across the sea, a boat is pretty. Yeah. Pretty tank. high up the list. You could do it for each king, though, couldn't you? What would you... If you the had best to get... present for each king. Yeah. That's a right in a bill, mm. isn't it? Uh, the ship also has very notable, uh, notably ornate decoration. It's got a carved lion's head on the prow. Nice. Whilst on the stern was a figurehead of a child holding a horn to its lips and pointing towards England. That's odd. Uh, perhaps representing uh, the son of them. Uh, and the masthead bears a papal banner, which has been sent from and consecrated in Rome. 
mm. I indicating that the Pope approves of this invasion. Um, not looking exactly like what I've just described, but it is actually depicted in the bio tapestry. Is it? The Morris. So Do we have it? Still got the. Ah, uh... uh, yeah. There we go. Child. Oh, yeah. Oh, and there's the banner up there, look. Yeah, well, that's lovely. But still, she has made a boat mm. which is in the bio tapestry. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, now, William knew nothing about this until um, it joins his invasion fleet. Mm. And it's a very cool moment because it sails into the harbour of uh, Deves with Matilda standing at the prow. Oh, cool. On the boat. What a great... Uh, I tried to surprise, do surprise presents <laughs> by uh, hiding stuff down the back of the sofa or something, and it always gets found. <laughs> that is impressive. Mm. To that have that delivery as well. Um, he's so delighted, he instantly named it as his flagship for the campaign, so it is the one that he mm. sails on, and he promised her the revenues of Kent, oh. which is a very lucrative... Uh, Does that pay for itself? County, indeed, yeah. Uh, and he leaves on the moor before sunset, the 27th of December, 1066, with a lantern on the mast and a horn being blasted as a signal to help the others follow. Mm. Cool. But not all of her forays into military affairs were as successful. Um, a succession crisis engulfed Flanders in 1070, so her father died, and then a few years later her brother, or one of her two brothers. Now, Matilda supports her young nephew when her other brother invades Flanders. Her nephew is the son of the older brother. Mm. Mm. Uh, William is busy dealing with Hereward the Wake in England at this time, mm. so he's a bit reluctant to get involved. But Matilda, as regent in Normandy, seems to have raised an army, made an alliance with France to help send support to her nephew and William reluctantly agrees to send one of his trusted lieutenants to lead a campaign mm. but said lieutenant is defeated and he as well as Matilda's nephew are killed in battle oh, right. so her other brother the one she doesn't like is the one that becomes the new Count of Flanders and he will be William's enemy for the rest of his reign Yeah, and give support to his son Robert during the rebellion yeah I see so she's actually just uh, made made enemies there mm. No good. From William's perspective, he's like, I mean, this isn't actually my territory. Yeah, I see. Not really my problem. I've got bigger fish to fry. Yeah, not really his problem, and he'd much rather have a happy ally mm. than an annoyed neighbour. Yeah. Yeah, that didn't go well at all. Mm. Anyway, that's Matilda for battliness. What are we what are you thinking? Builds a boat? Builds a boat. What what was the definition we early on decided battliness? It's having your own uh, agency. Yeah, we're looking for her own agency and sort of independence, but equally, if she does get involved in military affairs, then obviously that gets more points. Yeah. Notable. So in that sense, she's got a bit of militariness in that she builds William's flagship, but also, and also there's that agency around uh, not well refusing to cut off her son. Indeed. Yeah. I'm struggling to get really solid ground here, but I feel like she's got a lot going on. Mm. Um, and in an age of 1066, I thought there'd be more. And, you know, we talked about Emma for ages. Yeah. But these, these are great big events, and she's an actual regent. Mm. But it, I, it, can't, it, it is good. Yeah, it is pretty good. I think it's well, going to be, not not as a spoiler, but that, it's kind of Matilda's thing in a way. You're sort of thinking, well... It doesn't. On one level, it doesn't feel like it's you know blowing off the doors and mm. spectacular, and yet it's it's clearly yes, good, it's pretty good. Good stuff. I mean, I, I'm thinking a six and a half as my score. I'm thinking it's good. It's not spectacular. Well, I don't know if she deserves a bit more for the ship. The ship is pretty good. Cool. It's a cool moment. It's a very cool moment. Mm. Um, 
again that would be on the trailer and everything for the film um well i was wrestling with how i'd give her more than five because i want to mm. but i think she's definitely that side of the scale mm. um so i'd be happy with the six i can't yeah, I'll go with the six. Mm. I feel like the ship outweighs the Flanders yeah, thing, but yeah, the Flanders yeah. equally does bring it down to a yeah. little bit. It wasn't their land anyway. Mm. Uh, so it's sort of neutral, but she's made an enemy. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. Anyway, that's 12.5 for Pantliness. Scandal. Well, my bell hasn't rung much. Not yet, but perhaps it will here. Um, we've got three notable notorieties, each based around a man. Oh, 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 oh right. The first of these men was Britric Muir. Mm. Uh, he's one of the most prominent and wealthiest thanes in England during the reign of Edward the Confessor. Okay. And he was the English ambassador to Flanders in the mid to late 1040s. Oh, right. I when she was still there. Yeah, and sort of... Teenage. Teenager, mm. yeah. Said to have been a tall and handsome man, probably with fair hair, so the Muir means snow. Right. Now, according to the Chronicle of Tewkesbury, Matilda falls in love with Britric when he comes to her father's court. Yep. And then when he goes back, sends an offer of marriage to him in England mm. without her father's approval. And she was furious when Britric rejected the offer. And he said no. And he said no. And she asked. And she asked. Now then, when she becomes Queen of England, Britrick has his lands confiscated, uh, <laughs> he's arrested, imprisoned in Winchester, and dies mysteriously two years later. Oh, yes. I mean, that is that all over, right? <laughs> what did he know? What was he telling everyone that she did? Now, the question, of course, is, was this actually true? Oh, don't make it worse. Well, intriguingly, the Doomsday Book does confirm that the bulk of Britrick's properties passed into Matilda's ownership. Mm. Also, his was the last name on a charter approved at her coronation in 1068. So you can imagine the scene where it's her big, grand moment. She becomes Queen of England. Yeah. Everyone signing their names, and then the last man. And she, oh, on a big day, she goes, oh, this is... <gasps> mm. oh. I'm going to do something about this. Yeah. If I can't have my way with you, I will have your money. On the other hand, it does sound like another one of these fanciful stories. But it's also notable his fall coincides with the failed rebellion by the sons of Harold Godwinson in the West Country. So perhaps Britrick was part of this rebellion. So the arrest of him and the confiscation of his land sounds a bit more like how you'd punish a native lord who'd rebelled rather yeah. than... Well, I quite, I quite fancy that as a bit of scandal. That's the sort mm. of stuff we haven't had for a while. The next tantalising whiff of scandal comes from an Icelandic saga written in the 13th century by Snorri Sturluson. Oh, yeah. Our our friend from the Sigrid the Horty episode. I was going to say, old... uh, Actually, his name is as silly as I could have made it. Old Snorri. And he also provides us with a rather intriguing little story about Matilda and a certain man called Harold Godwinson. Okay. In 1064, and this is true, Harold was stranded in Normandy and taken prisoner. William immediately sees the significance of having Harold there with him in Normandy. Mm. So he brings Harold to Rouen as an honoured guest, Mm. uh, lays on lavish entertainments, bedecks his apartments with jewels and fabrics, and even takes him raiding in Brittany. Imagine that. Harold acquits himself very well. The intent, of course, is to show off Norman wealth and Norman military might. 
So this is verified in other chronicles, but Snorri provides some extra details. Of course he does. At dinner, Harold would be sat between William and Matilda mm. and uh, chats throughout the night with William, but William would go to bed a little bit earlier than everybody else. Oh, here we go. So Snorri relates. William went generally to bed, but Harold and William's wife sat long in the evenings talking together for amusement at the drinking table. Mm. Now, Harold does have a lot to recommend him as a late-night companion. He's described by Orderic Vitalis, who is usually a fervent critic of Harold, as being very tall and handsome, remarkable for his physical strength, his courage and eloquence, his ready jests and acts of valour. Sounds nice. Mm. While the Vita Edwardi said that he was well-practised in endless fatigues and doing without sleep and food, and endowed with mildness of temper and ready understanding. (laughs) Hot stuff. Indeed. And uh, perhaps not surprisingly, Matilda confides to Harold, somewhat coyly, that uh, the Duke has asked me what it is we have to talk about so much, for he is angry at it. Uh, uh, Jealousy. Hmm. Now, according to Snorri, their uh, discussions were indeed of matrimonial matters, but not in relation to Matilda, as Harold explains to William. I have to inform you, Duke, that there lies more in my visit here than I have let you know. I would ask your daughter in marriage, and have often spoken over this matter with her mother, and she has promised to support my suit with you. So, in other words, you may have thought I was sleeping with your wife, but in fact I would like to sleep with your daughter. (laughs) Oh, dear. What does William say? Well, so none of this is mentioned in other stories, but it's not necessarily completely unrealistic because the betrothal perhaps might have taken place or the early stage agreement for a betrothal because before Harold goes home, he's made to swear an oath recognising William's claim to the throne. In exchange for betrothal to his daughter? Okay, so it's just binding the whole thing together. Mm. Anyway, but I quite quite like the slightly saucy... uh, Oh, Suggestion yeah. of Harold and Matilda late nights uh, uh, chats by the fireside with um, Britvit Brittrick. Yes, really, really good. We've got one more. Oh yes. Uh, this one's a bit different though because the final chap is uh, not a bedroom man, but it's a matter of state, and it's her son Robert. Okay. So we covered this already, of course. Her support for her heroic but rather dissolute son when he rebels against William. Yeah. Now, Robert, as we said, was always Matilda's favourite son, so she sends him money in exile, despite the fact that he is taking up arms against William. She's actually funding the enemy. Mm. So he uh, publicly upbraids her. And these are William's words. A wise man remarked truly, as I myself have reason to find, that a faithless woman is her husband's bane. Behold my own wife, whom I love as my very soul, and who is entrusted by me with my treasures and jurisdictions through my whole dominions. She succors my enemies who are plotting against my life, enriches them with my wealth, carefully supplies them with arms to attack me, abets and strengthens them in every way. That's interesting, because he's saying how much he does love her there. Mm. He's conflicted in this conflict. Uh, Matilda kneels humbly at his feet, but does attempt to justify her actions. So she says, Do not wonder, I pray you, my lord, that I feel a mother's tenderness for my firstborn son. By the power of the Most High, I protest that if my son Robert was dead and buried seven feet in the earth, out of the sight of the living, and I could bring him to life at the expense of my own blood, I would freely shed it for him, and I would undergo sufferings greater than can be expected from female weakness. Interesting there. That first of all, they bury people a foot deeper than yes. we do now. Also, why did she have to give him so much money that it actually, you know, he 
couldn't she just give him pocket enough to like buy bread mm. so she knows he's not going to starve? It does seem like perhaps mm. she's gone too far there. And William is not impressed by her attempts. Mm. The stern prince turned pale with anger and, bursting with rage, he commanded the messenger to be arrested and blinded. Mm. Don't kill a messenger, William. <laughs> old adage get with the programme but Robert was literally at war with his father and did ally with France and Flanders it's amazing that he didn't do any better then I mean how how did it go what well they just have some skirmishes and then come to terms Um, but you know I mean this is effectively treason yeah in uh, Matilda's defence on this or against her in terms of the scandal she was just sending him money so although it is contributing his expenses it's not quite like Eleanor of Aquitaine or Isabella of France later on who are properly organising rebellions against their husbands. It does feel a bit more like... Pocket money. She's not getting involved in the planning, but she isn't helping. I think that's the the trouble. So what do we think for Scandal? Oh, it's good. Mm. I suppose technically all three of them... Well, certainly the first two have got certain question marks over exactly. But you go, we've got a bit of vengeance and murder. We've got a bit of a naughty times with Harold Godwinson. I'm... And a bit of treason in there. I'm very enthusiastic about this because <laughs> this is a really great example of this category. It's what you should be doing. It's what you should be doing. Enough question marks mm. to allow, certainly, it to continue to another scandalous <laughs> episode. You know, it's so scandalous, immediately head chopped off business. Mm. Uh, oh, it's really, it's really fun to be back in the saddle with a scandal. <laughs> uh, but I can't, I can't go below a six because the scandal involves such important people. Harold, Harold Godwinson. I mean, the idea of William, Duke of Normandy, it's a couple of years before Hastings, looking with rather menacing, jealous eyes, thinking, "What is that man doing with my wife?" Yeah, yeah. And then that whole Britvic thing. Mm. I think there's a little bit more there. And as you say, it plays out really well in the coronation scene. Yeah, with her doing, doing a double take, mm-hmm. and and you, you imagine uh, William catching that double take and thinking, "Hello, mm. what's this?" And actually, surely would totally find out when she said, "You, you know, um, trying to be really casual." Yeah. That, that guy, you know, that last one. Who was that? Let's get rid of all his lands and kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, I love it. I mm. love it. Six. Yeah, I thought you we were going to go higher than her. Well, because I feel like there's, it's just it's just solid. Mm. It, it's not a, a Beckett where they, you know it's definitely happened and yeah, yeah. all sort of stuff. I need to have room to go. It's interesting that the sort of the one which is pro- the the most like this definitely happened, mm. which is sort of treason, is the one which is <laughs> like well, we're not really giving many points <laughs> yeah. for that, but <laughs> we we downgrade that to pocket money and definitely. Uh, having an affair I was tempted by a seven mm. but the doubt over the first two mm. and then the question mark over whether she was really rebelling against William or just directly financing terrorism <laughs> <laughs> no I'm going to go for a seven actually I'm going to oh, really? give her the credit I'm normally the higher one yeah anyway interesting 13 subjectivity you'll be pleased to hear Ali she's a pious lady mm. You read them out, and we'll get on with it. Significant patron of the church, most notably, as we mentioned, with the Abbey of La Trinité in Cannes. Mm. Whereas William's Abbey is very severe and austere in its design, Matilda's very elaborately decorated, very spectacular, 
in its design. And these two foundations are actually an inspiration to the nobles of Normandy to do likewise and encourage each other to undertake similar enterprises for the salvation of their souls. But basically it leads to a flurry of sort of building of great churches and cathedrals in the Anglo-Norman realm. Yeah. They also together build four hospitals, restore some other churches and cathedrals to former greatness. And if that, you know, that's good. At least, it, you know, that's interesting. She receives praise from her piety from none less than the uh, the Pope himself. Oh. In correspondence with Pope Gregory the Seventh, he described her as his beloved daughter, and praised her as a pious wife who helped provide a restraining and spiritual influence on William. Oh. Well, I dropped the scandal bell. I think you're a bit late on that one. I mean, it wasn't for a moment suggesting that um, the Pope, the Pope, and uh, Eleanor had any um, Matilda. Matilda had any. Yeah. Uh, this indicates the perceived power and influence Matilda has. The fact that the Pope believes she's able to keep William on the straight and narrow in religious and indeed political uh, true, yeah. matters. And Alderic Vitale stated that after her death, he became a thorough tyrant. I mean, he wasn't great before. It was apparently on Matilda's advice that William gave Edith of Wessex, the uh, widow of Edward the Confessor, the honour of being buried in splendour at Westminster Abbey in 1075. Uh, Matilda's also a notable patron of the arts. After the Battle of Hastings, she commissioned her chaplain to compose an epic poem celebrating the victory. Uh, she's a patron of painters, sculptors, poets, chroniclers and seamstresses, particularly encouraged artists from Flanders to come to England and teach mm-hmm. their craft. Flartists. <laughs> Uh, apparently there's so many of them by the 12th century they were considered a burden to the state so Henry the First <laughs> gathered them all together and sent them off to Wales really? to Wales? yeah oh like Pembrokeshire there's mm. quite a oh the same the old fears never go away really. <laughs> um, her cultural patronage is in uh, sharp contrast to William who's got no such interest in these matters mm. so the court has much more um luster when she's there and there's something of a notable deterioration in standards when she's absent yeah now we've mentioned her regencies yes because both in normandy and england she's got an important role in governing uh, her realm she witnesses charters alongside william throughout the marriage about 100 in normandy but also in england when she's there she marked her name with the jerusalem cross perhaps indicating she couldn't actually write oh because they wouldn't necessarily bother at this time they'd have clerks doing it yeah true or, God, that's, but she can read. We mm. assume she can, she read, can read. She's also given a role in the administration of justice. She sat with William to hear pleas and give judgments, and there are frequent references in uh, Doomsday to her hearing legal cases in his absence, hmm. often for property disputes. So even Emma and Edith, uh, Edith of Wessex, weren't given a role in the administration of justice. My, it, in my mind, it's because uh, William is thinking, ah. Oh. This is where you have to have that thing called empathy. and I just, <laughs> You're good at all that. You have a go. And she just takes that on. And mm. then he sort of sees her as out, outsourcing that element outsourcing of empathy. Yeah. yeah, I'm just going to do the harrying business in the I'm north. I'm really good at that. Do you want to do, do the murdering? No? Fine. So, <laughs> division of labour. Yeah. Uh, the complication of governing two realms separated by the sea means that William's frequently absent from Normandy, so it's Matilda who is often entrusted as regent. Mm. Numerous occasions, it's her that is governing the duchy. Traditionally very volatile regions, subject to various rebellions, but there are no such problems under her governance. Mm-hmm. All runs very, very smoothly. 1066 one is particularly significant because there's a very strong p- possibility that William would have died. Oh yeah, of course. Philip I of France uh, expressed concern to William ahead of uh, the campaign about the duchy's safety in his absence. 
But William replied, That is a care that shall not need to trouble our neighbours. By the grace of God, we are blessed with a prudent wife and loving subjects who will keep our borders secure during our absence. Mm. Yeah, she sounds a real deal. And her consulship does seem to represent a step forward for queenship in England. She does seem to position herself as an English queen. William's coronation had been a rather tense and rushed oh, affair. Yeah. yeah. Everything bursting into flames. So Matilda's is really the first great state occasion of the reign. Hmm. It's likely she used Queen's Ordo employed by previous queens, but her coronation also has uh, notable innovations in the uh, Laudes Regii to ritual praises in the form of song. Right. And they've got three key changes for Matilda. So for the first time, not only the king, but the queen also is said to be placed by God among the people. Oh, that is a development, isn't it? The Queen is also to share royal power with the King, and the English people are blessed to be ruled by the power and virtue of the Queen. God, that is a hell of a step forward. I mean, mm. well, however you want to look at it. Mm. You know, we were talking about how the it's the from this point the Pope has a real say in yeah. these marriages. If that makes sense, if they are now saying that they're chosen by God... Mm. It makes sense for the Pope to have a, a word on it. In fun, indeed, yeah. And that these marriages now are really high status rather than mm. Saxons marrying other Saxon families. It's, you know, they're yeah. big diplomatic affairs now. Mm. Now, although William is remembered for his harsh reprisals on English rebellions, i.e. the harrying of the North, yeah. he does early on genuinely try to create this more consensual Anglo-Norman rule. Yeah. And uh, Matilda's a crucial part of his strategy. Because not only is she descended from Charlemagne, mm. but she is also descended from Alfred the Great. So, um, Alfred's one of Alfred's daughters, not Ethelfred of Mercia, obviously, marries Count Baldwin II. Mm. So thus, all of the future... All the future Baldwins. ...are descended from Alfred. Which William, of course, is not. So Matilda is crowned in Winchester, the old Saxon cathedral, before mm. it gets knocked down for the Norman one, by Archbishop Eldred of York. So that's one of the old Saxon archbishops. Oh, right. All of the Saxon earls are there, the archbishops, most of the thanes, as are the great and good of the Norman realm. Uh, unlike William's aborted efforts, Matilda also learnt to speak English successfully. Oh, so she can actually converse with her subjects if she was so inclined. So Matilda sort of sets a template, really, for Anglo-Norman queenship. And she does seem to leave a, something of a legacy that others follow. So her daughter-in-law, Matilda of Scotland, is the next one that will be doing, consort to Henry I, also acted as regent when he was absent. Um, and it's notable, perhaps, that Henry I is the first King of England to name his own daughter as heir. Yes, of course. And what was her name? Um, hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, against her, certain English churches are rather used as milk cows for the Norman mm. churches. She sent uh, hooded robes made in Winchester to La Trinité. What, she, so all the, the gear yeah. she just has sent over there? <laughs> They probably need some of these. Mm. Uh, as well as English animals, bacon and cheeses to supplement the diet of her nuns there. Mm. She also ordered the Abbot of Abingdon to send her some of its most uh, precious ornaments to be redistributed to churches in Normandy. Oh, that can't be popular. And uh, he tried to get away with sending, sending her some of the less impressive ones, but uh, she notices and angrily demands that they send some better ones. Gosh. 
And there's also some evidence that the English are not overflowing with enthusiasm. So Edith of Wessex uh, was still looked to by many as the true queen mm. while she was alive. In 1072, a charter reverently describes Edith as the lady, King Edward's widow, mm. while Matilda was described simply as being William's bedfellow. <laughs> oh. That's hilarious. And indeed, she is mostly in Normandy, only spent something like three to four years in England, so unlikely that her subjects knew her that well in England. So what are you thinking for subjectivity? Well, it's very good. I mean, you know, I struggle to get enthusiastic about this sort of thing, but Mm. it seems like she was aware that this was going to come up. It's just very standard, isn't it? It feels in the same way that... um, Oh, exceptionally standard, as in she does all the basic things very, very well. Mm-hmm. Same religious way. patronage, charity, music, the um, arts, the poems, the arts. I suppose the extra thing she has, the regencies and sort mm. of being involved in the governance of the country is perhaps a bit beyond what you might expect. And the coronation, although it's maybe not beyond what you would expect from a medieval queen, it does, mm. compared to what's gone before, it does seem to move queenship forward. Oh, that's certainly true, yeah. Mm. Maybe And maybe actually she's setting, she does the basic stuff very well, she defines what those basics are mm. of what a Norman queen should be if you're up there and placed there by God this is what you do mm. I'll be happy with an eight mm. the, the tricky thing with Matilda it's very good and it does set that template mm. but what I'm not sure is how exciting the template is that's what I mean about the basics very well yeah yeah. it just it feels like she's sort of gone right in at sort of almost like right this is your sort of Seven out of ten, solid. Yeah. And she kind of does it pretty much across the board. So... Seven out of ten. So seven out of ten. <laughs> but because she made that template, I'm going eight. Yeah. Like, if she had uh, if she had ten issues mm. and a hundred pounds, she would have put ten on each little thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she wouldn't have gone, oh, I'm eight that. I'm going to give it all to the, the building program. And yeah. Have gone, oh, okay. It was just good. Mm-hmm. So seven and eight is a pretty solid sort of way of representing that. Indeed, or put those together and call it 15. Oh, this maths you do, witchery. Longevity. So she's Queen Consort of England from the 25th of December 1066 to the 2nd of November 1083. 16.92 years. Mm, Gives a score of 10.5 out of 20. Actually, fairly, yeah. Mm. This just does it all very well. 27th. Yeah. Dynasty. Not the programme. Nine children we are giving her credit wow. for. They actually have ten in all. Four sons and six daughters, but it might be five daughters. That's a slight thing. Uh, but one son, Richard, predeceased Matilda. So he died in a hunting accident in the New Forest. Oh, God. You wouldn't go anywhere near it. It's actually two what? of the sons of William and Matilda yeah. died hunting in the New Forest. Gosh, that's huge. That's a huge score, isn't Indeed, it? Indeed. Nine children gives her a score 17.5 out of 20, which joint third best. Anyway, that all adds up to give her a very high overall score of 68.5. It is a solid across-the-board score. That's the third best score that we've had thus far. But, of course, it's not all about the score. Does she have that certain something, that great achievement, the star quality, the lasting legacy, great achievement that we call... Factor. Straight away, mm-hmm. before you said, but it's not all about that, mm. I was about to say, but I tell you what, I wouldn't remember her. Before putting the episode together, I think about which ones you know might be in contention, might not be. Mm. 
and she was not one of the ones that I was no. thinking about at all. I'm thinking, well, does she then deserve the Rex Factor, actually? If she's scoring this highly, you know, and she's setting a bit, moving queenship forward a bit, she is kind of a model for the medieval mm. queen, certainly Anglo-Norman medieval queens, not least, obviously, by being called Matilda, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, setting that. She sets the standard, even in the name. <laughs> the name. Yeah. So she seems an important one, a very influential one, a very competent one. But just, she just seems very solidly good. Mm. She's. It's like she's the background stuff that you don't always notice. Mm. Uh, she. She's the paper on which <laughs> the newspaper is printed. Mm. Let the ink's no good on its own. Mm. You need this, and it's all there. Mm. But you don't notice the paper all the time. You read the words. I think I should give it to her. I, I, I'm. I'm. I'm fighting against. <laughs> my own arguments here because I think <laughs> she deserves it. I think she will lose in a if she get if she gets to these finals mm. because there isn't an overwhelming personality that comes through. Mm. But she has done so much to get there. So I'm going to say yes, but I <laughs> understand that you may say no, and it, perhaps a split decision is actually closer. Mm. My concern is if she gets the Rex factor. And it's a danger, I think, for the consort series, particularly now, this point onwards, now that there's more information than we mm. had for most of the Saxons. And there's a danger that we end up giving a lot of consorts the Rex Factor yeah, because they're true. pretty good. Yeah. And indeed, the Norman ones to come, actually, there's going to be some you know, pretty good yeah. consorts. And then the question comes, well, what separates being good yeah. for being great? It's the what elevates you above... Uh, the Henry the Seventh of this world. It will, is she a Henry the Seventh? Yeah, very good, very solid. She probably might be better than some of the ones and actually mm. get the Rex Factor in a way. But if we give it to her, do we have to give it to ten others that are a bit average? I understand exactly what you're saying. That you're saying there's you need to have somewhere to go to what elevates her above this standard. Mm. Uh, and if so, if we give Rex Factor to what has now become the standard, mm. then there'll be loads. So you mm. just have to reach standard. But she sets that. So mm. I think if we're going to do it once, it should be for <laughs> her. And then we accept that as a baseline. That's what we need, mm. at least. Mm. And then go from there. I am torn. I don't. I might. All my inclination is that she doesn't have that certain something. Yeah. Oh, I'm going back on myself. No, I'm not. Stick with the gut. She's the first one ordained by God. <laughs> yeah. he may That's be. always been very important <laughs> to you. Yeah, do love, do love. I mean, I'm. Oh. I don't think she's quite got it for me. Your the face there, Graham. That's conflicted. It's so conflicted. I just I feel like the numbers. I like my numbers. I like mm. my spreadsheets, and I feel like the numbers are telling me something that my heart isn't. <laughs> Why do I feel like this? <laughs> Check a spreadsheet. <laughs> but I I just I feel like there's going to be sim better similar to come. Yeah. I think I'm going to go for a no, but I, I feel it could be a controversial one. That is but. a really good way of marking that point, then, isn't it? With mm. a split. Hmm. Because we don't have many splits. Matilda of Flanders has a split decision, which means she doesn't quite get the Rex Factor. I, I think I'm just trying to force, at some point, <laughs> you to have your own Edgar. Straight <laughs> 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 heat off me. I'm going to just keep saying yes to appease everyone, and you can have to try and... Correspondence Corner. So... Get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. Was that my Edgar moment? Should Matilda of Flanders have got the Rex Factor? You can contact us on Twitter and Instagram at Rex Factor Pod. 
like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page, email rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. And also remember to send in your hashtag consort cards. Mm. That's the trouble. That's I don't know what I'd draw. If you would uh, like to support the podcast, you can leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you use, and subscribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can donate to the podcast. You can do a one-off donation on PayPal. Mm-hmm. And we say a big thank you to Elsie Clark, who has done that. Thank you. Alternatively, you can donate on a monthly basis to get bonus content and join the Privy Council. And we've got some new Privy Councillors to welcome to the fold. Nicholas Hanna, Gregor Sinclair, Ambeen, Stephanie Dickinson, Jordan H., Stuart Crouch, Jonathan Brooks, Sharky333, Roxy Hook, Sarah Lincoln, Zeta Valisinova, Michelle Daisy Wood, Sarah Stanford, Michelle Sabia, Sane, and Lynn Booth. Um, well, thank you very much. Welcome one and all. There's a few names I recognise there from Facebook, so mm. thank you very much. Uh, a few messages from Privy Councillors. Mary Julio. Uh, or Juliet. This is a Valentine's Day gift to my husband, Aaron. I did explain that the episode with our scheduling would thus be much later than... <laughs> Otherwise, I've got some very bad news, Ray. <laughs> yeah. You've missed a deadline. <laughs> he introduced me to the podcast while we were dating, and we're still listening. Thanks for making this awesome show, Graham and Ali, and happy Valentine's belated. I shall add, Valentine's Day, Aaron. Love, Mary. Oh, happy Valentine's Day, Aaron. Love, Mary. <laughs> Should I say that? If you like. Yeah. This is the username for you, ZJSJKW. Can you say that as a name, if that's a name? Jishkwa. Uh, I think that's only polite. Dear Ali and Graham, lots of love from the two of us to the two of you. Hope this keeps that uh, juicy scandal coming. You have accompanied us on many a long car journey and for many an epic baking session. Oh. And we are looking forward to being wowed by all the Rexy facts and singing along to the theme tune for many years to come. Hey. History never sounded so good. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Uh, and finally, Lynn Booth uh, says, Hello, sorry that this uh, is kind of serious uh, as a message. I want to thank you so much for your podcast. My husband had a long, hard struggle with pancreatic cancer and died recently. Oh, God. During his illness, I spent hours listening to nothing but Rex Factor, gave up my other podcast for a while. It was so lovely to hear your voices talking about kings and queens and enjoying yourselves so much. Much appreciated, Lynn Booth from Minnesota. Oh, Lynn. That's terrible. Thank you so much for getting mm. in touch. Um, I actually her name was one of the ones I meant. I mm. meant when I said I recognised yeah. it. So oh, that's lovely to know that we were able to mm. be a bit of support. But terrible news. And uh, I did check with Lynn that she was okay with me reading yeah. that message out, and yeah, and she did so she wanted to. So thank you very much, Lynn. Uh, now this is a message, or some messages actually, as it turns out, for Alex and Jane's impending nuptials. Mm. So we got a message from uh, Claire who is going to be the best man, or best man, Woo-man. for her brother Alex. Mm-hmm. And she asked us to help uh, in creating, or p- helping her to create something for the stag do, as Alex is a big Rex Factor fan. Oh, cool. And I sent in a uh, Rex Factor pub quiz. Did you? Yeah. Can we play it? Uh, we could do, yeah. Oh, brilliant. I'll do it for the Privy Chamber. Good idea. So Claire got in touch saying, as you both know, I carefully created an excessively Rexy stag do for my brother Alex. There was a surprising number of Rex fans in attendance, with some converted over the course of the weekend. Now safely on the other side of the stag, I wanted to wish Alex and Jane a massive congratulations. Anyway, thanks again for both of you for your help. You've made a dweeby fanboy very happy. (laughs) Wow, that is excellent, um, best manning. Sounds like an awesome stag. (laughs) Forget paintballing. I, you know, actually I blooming love paintballing, what am I talking about? (laughs) 
or go-karting then. No, I love go-karting as well. Now, I also got uh, a message from Amy Orchard, you know, who joined the uh, Privy Council a while ago, so she's one of the ones whose messages I need to read out. And it was just when going through all of these that I thought, oh, hang on, I know what this is about now. I'd like to wish Jane and Rex Factor enthusiast Alex... Oh, happy impending nuptials! We recently had Jane's hendo. This was before uh, before Alex's, uh, where she dressed up as a famously wonderful marriage material, Henry VIII. Her Tudor court made an excellent effort. All wives were represented. We had a sexy Cardinal Wolsey and a Thomas More in a bodycon dress. Oh, that's brilliant! Wishing the murderous Ginger Cad a happy and successful marriage with minimal beheadings. Oh man! Can you imagine if we ever got married? <laughs> <laughs> we'd have to we'd have to put it out to the Rex Factor fans yeah. to see what they'd do. Oh. Next time we will be doing Matilda of Scotland. Till then, goodbye. Cheerio.